Our gospel lesson this morning is going to come from Matthew's gospel, from Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 16, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And I invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a bushel basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Last weekend at our confirmation retreat that I went to with our, uh, our confirmands, uh, we watched a, a great video. The speaker showed a video by a young man by the name of Kyle, Kyle Martin. I don't know if any of y'all ever heard of Kyle Martin or seen this video. It was one of those video clips that um, went viral a year or two ago. Uh, he was uh, named a valedictorian of his high school class. And this was his, um, his, his speech that he gave. And it was... Uh, it was it was such an amazing speech for anyone to give, but particularly for an 18-year-old. And he, he talked about how when he gave this speech, he said, uh, he, said, he, rec- he, said he, he said, a year before today, I was told that I had a shot to be valedictorian. He said, so I spent this entire year working to win this award. I made sacrifices. Uh, I, I, I dedicated myself. I did all these things in hopes of winning this award. And then he said, two weeks back at our senior awards day, it was announced that I was valedictorian. And I did it. I achieved this goal. I did it. He said, and for the first 15 seconds, it felt amazing. And then at second 16, I thought, well, Okay, now what? I, he said, I didn't know what I was expecting. I didn't know if I was expecting a bunch of balloons to fall from the sky. He said, I didn't know if I expected a parade down Main Street. He said, I didn't know what I expected. But for the first 15 seconds of, of this announcement, it was the greatest feeling ever. And then second 16 and 17 and 18. I realized, okay, it's over now. I've won. What, what, what happens next now? And then he said he looked back and saw all the sacrifices that he had made to get to this point. All the things he had done. And he asked, was it really worth it? And then he spent the rest of his time talking about how, how um, hard work is not bad. Hard work is a virtue. Hard work and achievement is a virtue. He said, but he said, we're, we're, we're 18 years old. We're fixing to go into this, this college to our, he said, we're, we're, we're young enough. We haven't messed anything up yet. Our future still awaits. He said, but you're going to face the same pressure as the rest of your life. For me, it was this pressure of achieving this award. And what I sacrificed for it. He said, for some of you, it was sports or dance or arts or academics or social life. And the sacrifice you made to accomplish these things to the neglect of the relationships in your life that matter the most. He said, as you get older, 
You can exchange valedictorian or sports or arts or whatever for career or power or a nice house or whatever. He said, there's going to always be something that you're striving towards. And that's good. And that's good. It's good to have things to strive towards. It's good to have goals to accomplish. It's good to have tasks to achieve. It's good to work hard. I'm a hard work's a virtue, y'all. I'm a big fan of hard work. My daddy used to always say, hard work covers a multitude of sins. I'm a big fan of hard work. But what do the sacrifices, what price do they come at? And do we jeopardize the greater relationship sometimes? Because the nicest house while sitting alone is of no value. And the prettiest award, when you alienate those that you love, is of no value. And if we achieve everything that we want, but yet we lose the relationships that truly define us, then what have we truly accomplished? It was a remarkable speech. I would, I would invite you to Google this. Kyle Martin is the young man's name. It, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely worth taking your time to watch. It really was. I watched it several times this week and getting ready for this sermon. It's a, great, it's a great speech by a great young man. But that got me thinking about relationships. In, this, in, our, in our Rooted in Christ capital season, we've been talking each week about the things that our church is rooted in. We're rooted in a vision. We're rooted in prayer. We're rooted in giving. And today, I think I want to talk about what might even be the most important thing that we can be rooted in, and that is being rooted in relationships. Being rooted in relationships. And so today, I think today's two passages of Scripture that we read perfectly lay out what it means to be rooted in relationships. Um, first, the, the, in these, these two passages, Genesis and Matthew, at first, seem completely unrelated to each other. They don't seem to have a whole lot in common. Because the first passage is God calling Abram. Notice he is not yet Abraham. Throughout the Bible, God changes people's names. It's a common thing that God does throughout Scripture. God changes Abram to Abraham, Sarah to Sarah, Saul to Paul, Simon to Peter. God's always changing folks' names. It says in Revelation that he will give us a new name. So God changes people's names, not just because God likes to give folks nicknames, but God changes names because in Scripture, your name was synonymous with who you are. And God changes who we are. Our faith should change who we are. And if our, our faith does not produce some type of change in who we are, then we need to start looking deeper at our faith. So Abram has not yet been changed to Abraham. He's just getting started. And so God calls him. And this, is, this passage is one of the most important in all of Scripture. For the Jewish people, it's one of the most defining passages in all of Scripture. God calls Abram to leave behind everything. To leave behind his family, to leave behind his home, to leave everything behind. To, and people didn't do that back then. <clears throat> Even if you wandered as a nomad, you wandered with your family. So Abram leaves behind everything. And God promises him, gives him a couple promises. He says, first, go to the land that I'll show you, which is always crazy to me. God does not say, go here. He says, start walking and you'll know it when you see it. So he starts walking and God tells him this. Said, I'm making you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. 
And in you, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God called Abraham to something bigger than just having land and a people. God says that through you, through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Through Abraham, that has a couple of ripples. First, through his faith. Through the example of faith that Abraham gave. The Bible says over and over again that we are saved by grace through faith, lest no one can boast. Abraham is the, is, the, is the ideal example of what this faith looks like. Abraham believed. Paul says Abraham had faith, and that faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith. That faith changed him. That faith is the perfect example for what our life should be like. Through the example of Abraham's faith, all the nations of the earth are blessed by following that example. But that's not all that it's talking about here because who is the direct offspring of Abraham? Jesus. Jesus comes from the Jewish people. Jesus comes from the line of Judah. Judah comes from Isaac. Isaac comes from Abraham. Through Abraham's faithfulness, the lineage of Jesus is established through Abraham's faith, through his choice to follow God, Jesus Christ is a direct result. Of course, this is all in God's plan, of course, we know that. But through his example, all the nations of the earth are blessed, not just through Abraham's faith, but through Jesus Christ, who comes from the line of Abraham. Abraham's calling was greater than just to benefit himself. It was greater than just to benefit his own people, but it was to benefit the world. You will be a light to the nations. All the nations of the world shall be blessed through you. Through Abraham's decision, that's what happened. We see it in Matthew as well. The, the story that Jesus tell, tells is about the city on a hill. It, uh, there's an actual um, city. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth was a, was a, a village right in Galilee. But it's kind of in a plain. There, there are some hills there, but there's nothing. Nazareth is not particularly a, um, a particularly hilly city. There's some, there's some towns in Israel, like Jerusalem or others, that are, you know, it's up and down. But that's not Nazareth. Nazareth is just a kind of a typical Judean town. But if you're, if you're, if you're in, in, in Nazareth and you look kind of to your, um, to your northeast, North, northeast, yeah, you'll see this big hill. And on this hill, there was a Roman city called Zipporah. Zipporah was a relatively modern town. Um, most of the Roman emperors and Roman puppet kings would do great building projects to give the people jobs and make them like them. So uh, the Romans built this city called Zipporah. And it was stunningly beautiful. To this day, the streets are there, are, there are, there are roads that the Romans built in Zipporah that are probably better than roads in Jackson to this day. I mean, like they're, they're actually drivable to this day. There's mosaics there that are stunning. Just, just some of the prettiest mosaics in all of the Holy Land are in Zipporah. And there was this city that was built up, that was new, that was modern, that was on this hill. And this hill overlooked all of the Judean countryside. You could see it for miles around. And when Jesus says, you 
or a city on the hill. They thought about Zipporah. And they knew that at night, when Zipporah was lit up, like we'd say in the South, it was lit up like Christmas. You couldn't hide from it. And you couldn't block it from your view. Because when Zipporah was lit up at night, all of the Galilean countryside, basically to Dan, the north, could see it. You can't hide your light. Friends, that's who we are as the church. Just like Abram, we're to be a blessing to the nations. And just like that city on the hill, we are to be lit up for all of our community and all of our world to see. And I don't just mean physical lights. I don't just mean driving by the church at night and seeing how pretty it looks. But I mean that our light should shine in our jobs. Our light should shine in our schools. Our light should shine even when we're at Walmart and we don't know where the dumb pasta, pasta sauce is that we got to buy. Because there's 15 dozen pasta sauces and they all taste the same. No offense to my wife who's not here to hear this. She's coming later and I won't make this joke then because then she'll get me. And you're mad and you're ready to get home and the dadgum checkout girl won't hurry up. Does my light shine then? Does our light shine when the waitress will not come and refill our Diet Coke? Does our light shine when they will not turn on their stupid blinker getting over in traffic? It's easy for our light to shine here in worship this morning because we're going to act Christian. It's a lot harder tomorrow. It's a lot harder when our world gets blown up, isn't it? We're the church, y'all. And this whole rooted in Christ thing, as much as I want to be a blessing to our church, and as much as I want it to be a blessing to our people, as much as I want it to be a blessing to intersection, a blessing to our students, a blessing to our weekday, a blessing to our children, a blessing to everything that we do here in this church, in the end, this can't be about us. It can't be about us. Because nowhere in Scripture does it lay out that the church exists only for itself. Nowhere in Scripture does it lay out that we exist only to meet our needs and our wants and our desires. But if you look at Scripture over and over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible is clear that the people of God exist not for themselves, but they exist so that the world may know Jesus. And if the point of our existence is simply to be, be what, for us, then I don't know why we're here because that's not what we're here for. We're here for the world. God called Abram to be, a, to be a blessing to the nations. Jesus Christ told his followers, you will be a light to the world. We exist for the world. The church is the only organization that exists for those who are not yet members. Let me say that again. 
The church is the only organization that exists for those who are not yet members. The church is always one generation away from extinction. The church is always one generation away from extinction because if new people don't come in, if people are not converted, if people do not know Jesus, the church ceases to exist. We exist for them. If we exist for ourselves, then we'll be fine, sure. But we're not gonna be the light that Jesus has commanded us to be. We're not gonna be the blessing that Jesus has commanded us to be. The world needs the church now more than ever. And as a church, we've got to be rooted in the relationships that exist all around us. Because people all around us need Jesus. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. Jesus Christ is the reason we exist. Jesus Christ is the one who saves the world. And we exist to proclaim him, to magnify him, to serve him, to worship him, to point to him, to be his example in the world. We are the light of the world through Jesus Christ's grace. That's our purpose. That's our goal. That's our, that's our calling. I have a friend who, uh, who loves to give out light people. He, he's, he's given me multiple flashlights throughout the time that I've known him. He just gave me the coolest flashlight in the world. It, it's, it's a nightlight that's motion activated. And I, I didn't know where to put it at because it seemed like everywhere I put it at night, it was like in my line of sight. So at first I put it beside my bed and I'd roll over and boom, like, oh, okay, there's the light. So then I put it at the foot of my bed and then the dogs would run in and boom, there's the light. So finally, I figured out, I put it in my bathroom. And what I do at night, if I need the light, I'll just like, I'll reach my hand out of the bed and kind of like wave at it. And it cuts on so that I got enough light to see where I'm going at night. And it's been great to know that when I've needed that light to shine, it's been there. This Madison know that when the light of Christ needs to be shown, St. Matthews will shine it. That's the other side of the reservoir. Know that when the light of Christ needs to be shown, that we'll shine it. Does Gluckstadt, does Northeast Jackson, does Flora, Livingston, Honduras, Trinity and Forest, Madcap and Madison, and Canton rather, does Ann Smith or Madison Station, Madison Avenue, or MRA, or Hartsfield, know that when the light of Christ needs to be shown, that we'll shine it. That's our job, y'all. We've got to be rooted in those relationships that exist beyond the walls of this church. Because folks outside these walls need to know Jesus. Not just for their own salvation, but to meet their needs. That's our calling, y'all. Jesus says, you 
or a city on a hill. May his light shine brighter and brighter in this community because of our willingness to serve here at St. Matthew's. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for shining a light for the world to see, O oh God, through us. We love you. You are good, God, and your mercy endures forever. We ask this in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.